Hi, this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I'm Jarrett Murphy from City Limits. And we're joined uh, here today to talk the latest on housing and homelessness issues. Uh, we're here with Mary Brosnahan from Coalition for the Homeless and Shelley Nortz from Coalition for the Homeless. And Shelley, let's start with you. I know uh, as the legislative session was winding down last week, there obviously were concerns expressed by a lot of people about the absence of the housing MOU and the questions about uh, whether the governor was going to fulfill his promises on homelessness and more broadly on housing. Uh, as the session ended, there was some money uh, apparently involved in an agreement. Did any of that go toward satisfying any of your concerns? Uh, there was a small amount of money that was uh, restricted to uh, a memorandum of understanding that needed to be executed among the legislative leaders and the division of the budget uh, according to the budget documents that were approved to the appropriations that were approved in uh, March. Um, and so it, it, in the aggregate, it's $150 million out of $1.9 billion. Uh, that's with a B, billion. And so um, roughly 7% of the amount of money that was to have been made available for all of the supportive and affordable housing commitments that the governor made in January uh, ha has been freed. I've, I've just recently had the MOUs read to me over the phone, so I know what they say. I think there's still a question um, about how available those funds actually are. There were two MOUs executed, one for $100 million and one for $50 million. Um, so we're still doing some digging to find out whether uh, it will be 150 or 100. And and Mary, you were you've been pretty outspoken in the media. Uh, well, I'm I'm not as diplomatic as Shelley, <laughs> so if I could just be a little more pointed, I mean, you know, I think that the city uh, tried to pursue another New York New York agreement, which is historically how. Um, tens of thousands of units with on-site support services have been built, going back to Mario Cuomo and Dave Dinkins, um, obviously Andrew's father and David Dinkins. And, you know, this sharp break from that very uh, productive partnership is troubling on a number of levels. Um, we're thrilled that the mayor got up and committed 15,000 units uh, for the state, uh, you know, for the city, um, by the city, some obviously using some federal funds. But uh, subsequent to that, it was all spelled out in budget documents, both capital and, and expense. Um, in January, what Shelley was alluding to was uh, Governor Cuomo getting up and, you know, with great fanfare saying this is his issue and this is his life and he's going to do an unprecedented 20,000 units. Um, but it was his own construct, uh, his own insistence that there's this memorandum of understanding with the legislature. and. Sure enough, they've all gone home, and yet if this guy wanted that to happen, it would have happened. Um, and that seems to be the key. I mean, there are a number of other problems with how it's playing out, just to, not to get too far in the weeds here, but um, essentially the RFPs that are starting to emerge from this are telling the providers that we'll give you the operating funds, but you have to go and, and get tax credits um, to get the capital. Exactly the, the type of arrangement that delayed so much of the implementation of New York, New York 3. And this is, I, I feel free to actually say that we've been in meetings with the governor's top, top aides and have explained to them, don't do it this way because it's just going to slow things down. And yet, um, it, we didn't get 
anywhere near the billions of dollars that would be needed to have a fully flush out. We don't have a forward-thinking or forward-looking, um, you know, paper trail, so to speak, that would actually spell out, yeah, this is how we're going to get from here to 20,000 units. None of that happened. Um, instead, you know, if, if I sound a little bitter, it's because I am. You know, it's, it's going to be a long, hot summer here in the city. And I don't see anything coming out of what just happened up in the state for a couple of years. Correct me if I'm wrong, Shelley, but there's no scattered site money. Um, so it was a talk of the game, but I, I feel like a lot of us were left holding an empty bag. Does any of that, uh, the inaction at the state level or the odd way they are structuring their RFPs, will that hamstring the de Blasio 15,000 units? Is there an interplay no, between I, the I two? No, I think there historically would have been, but they've sort of gone their separate ways. Um, and I think, Shelley, one of the things that, that you've taught me, certainly over the past few weeks, is, and you've heard directly from the providers, that the banks don't want to step up now. They, you know, New York, New York was a well-known commodity, so to speak. They would be willing to invest and, and actually um, get people behind the tax credits to do all this very complicated financing, but they're like, what do you have to show me? And like we're talking about maybe one or two years out. They don't want any part of that. They want something that's meaningful. Um, they want more clarity around where exactly. the funding's coming from, yeah, the long-term long? vision. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. The crux of the problem, really. So when we had the prior three agreements, the, the executives of the state and the city sat down and hammered out exactly how many units they were going to build over what timetable for what populations and what their financial sharing arrangements would be, long-term multi-year agreements that they inked, and then they followed up with adequate appropriations to keep those pipelines going and humming. And that inspired great confidence on the part of financial institutions what we have here is no agreement and only one year worth of funding for a mere 1,200 units. We've got 80,000 people in shelters and in the state, and we've got 1,200 units that might open in two or three years out of this agreement at the Capitol. Uh, completely mismatched as to scale, magnitude, and, of course, duration. And that's really going to hamper... Uh, the the investors from coming to the table, not just for the tax credits, but very often financial institutions and also the intermediary groups that are nonprofits that help finance dishousing come in with pre-development grants. They help fund the acquisition of a site, for example, an empty lot. Um, everybody is very wary in the absence of either the full $1.9 billion getting put to, put to bed in a real MOU with the legislature and releasing all of that money uh, or an agreement inked between the mayor and the governor, and we have neither at this point. Shelley, let me ask you, was this a case of supportive housing and housing in general merely losing out to other priorities as the session wound down in terms of attention, or... Was there any uh, wariness or, or misgivings up there about supportive housing itself? You know, the, there were some tabloid stories in the past year about crime around supportive housing, and there obviously always is some, often is some neighborhood opposition to it being located in any particular place, um, and some legislators picked up on that. Was that a thread that was part of this discussion? 
not at the at the mega level with the vast majority of legislators. There are a couple of them out there who harp on supportive housing because they don't understand the difference between supportive housing and shelters. But we worked very, very closely with both sides of the aisle and both houses on building support for this campaign for New York, New York housing that uh, pushed both the mayor and the governor to jointly come up with 35,000 units of supportive housing statewide. And 75% of the legislature signed letters in support of that. Again, both sides of the aisle, both houses. Uh, so that's not the narrative. The, there, there is a, a, one narrative that's out there is that the MOU is being held hostage for a, an eventual 421A financing uh, deal for the developers that build affordable housing in New York City. Um, and so there's that theory, although I've heard contradictory theories that say that they were extremely close on 421A and that that was n not really the problem. Um, I think, you know, Mary's op-ed shares my view that, uh, you know, I have to question how much the governor really wants this to happen because he's proved himself to be able to do things like marriage equality when we've got opposition in a Republican Senate. He did $15 minimum wage when he didn't even like a $13 minimum wage two years ago. Uh, he did paid family leave. He gets what he wants when he wants it. Well, the other piece I think that's that's very relevant is that when this was trotted out, what, two and a half weeks ago, Shelley? Um, and it was also that they've appointed this blue ribbon panel to study the problem further for two years. And I remember uh, when Andrew first got into office, there was one of my favorite New York Post editorials because I said, really, we're going to, back then, we're going to, you know, he proposed studying this more. And I think the term that they said referring to me was, give the she-devil her due. She, you know, <laughs> they were agreeing with me, like, what the hell? And if you look at the, those press releases, the nine-page press release and other materials that were rolled out that day, um, you know, that there's not one solution to homelessness, that we really got to take a stronger look. It's like, really? Um, I think we're past that. And we certainly, you know, I, I don't know if they're just lacking the immediacy of the crisis that our city is facing. So I, I think most people listening to us talk about this have a have a good understanding. You know, mm -hmm. we, yeah. we both City Limits and Gotham Gazette mm -hmm. get get into the weeds a little right. bit, and and that's our you know more insider civic minded audiences. But you know, let's just talk about supportive housing mm -hmm. for a second. Yeah. The I mean, I visited uh, one facility on the Upper West Side at one point last year, and I you know I saw some of this firsthand. Um, that what these facilities mm -hmm. look like, and mm -hmm. that you're talking about places for for people to live that where there's built-in social services, people with apartments with doors that privacy with apartments, with, yeah. yeah, and and built-in social services yeah. for people who are struggling with mental illness, struggling with substance abuse, and and some of these other issues that are, as we know, part and parcel to a lot of homelessness that's, issues. Yeah, that's obviously the key because as we know, people can either relapse or certainly um, if somebody, you know, um, decompensates and has to be hospitalized, those people are there to make that as seamless as possible, but also to make sure that the apartment is there for them to come back to and that community support. 
And we've just seen that this works. It costs a fraction of what we're spending on shelter. So it's hard to argue that, I, I feel it's hard to argue that we need to study this for another two years, which seems to dovetail into yeah, also when the next election cycle may well, Yeah, I mean, as, as has been clear, if you're going to, if the governor is outlining $1.9 he understands the resources that, in theory, at least, need yes. to be dedicated and what the value yeah, is. He's, he's a smart guy. Yeah. A shift to talking about the city mm -hmm. and, and homelessness more broadly here. Um, in the past few months, the mayor's rolled out the reorganization of uh, kind of the bureaucracy around mm -hmm. those services. Um, what do you think about that, and how do you, what, what's your view on the implementation of that so far? Have you made progress since that announcement? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people don't realize that you know the coalition is usually getting attention for causing trouble, and we run eleven different um, direct service programs. One of which is not too far from here at our offices on Fulton Street is one of the few centers that homeless people can come to without an appointment and we help them with any number of issues and it's it's through that direct dialogue and helping them that we can keep such a close tab uh, on what's happening how the situation is shifting and also where the court appointed monitors because we brought that Callahan litigation initially so we're in the shelters full-time we've expanded our role to include family shelters um, and I, you know, we welcome, first of all, a little, maybe a little bit prejudice here, but Steve Banks who was our lawyer at the coalition for 30 years at Legal Aid. To have somebody with that intelligence, but also insight into, and also willingness. I mean, you know, when he uh, expanded his role uh, from HRA and now being inclusive of DHS, you know, he, he would go to places like the Coalition and spend hours listening to clients. He really wanted to understand what clients were experiencing because so much of what needs to happen is commonsensical. You know, um, what does this family need? Not just like give them, you know, remember the whole debate about between Ed Koch and the uh, civil liberties, you know, just give uh, Billy Boggs an apartment. It's not that simple. Maybe they need support services afterwards. He really wants to know the nuance because he doesn't want those people funneling back into the system. He wants to fix it. And, you know, let's let's face it, for, tw for 20 years through Giuliani and then subsequently Bloomberg, the coalition has argued that the solution to this is housing-based. And so it is, um, you know, really buoyed our optimism that we could be turning a corner here that now we have an administration who wholeheartedly is investing in those housing-based solutions. And so, okay. I'm sorry, that's that's the, the LINK program, or LINK program, mm -hmm. you should say, because several yep. of them is kind of the, the heart and, of and that. NYCHA. And NYCHA. And NYCHA. Talk about LINK first, yep. though. I know that in the first year of their operation, there was a problem with getting landlords mm -hmm. to sign up, yep. um, and a lot of steps were taken to mm -hmm. try to reassure them. Were those successful? Is that still an obstacle? Yeah, and I think that shows Steve's practicality. I mean, you know, He's a whiz, but he's also very practical. And I'm dating myself here, but I just remember the ERP program, uh, you know, where they were giving bonuses up front. You know, within reason, what will it take? And, and a lot of these landlords were burned from the previous administration who started a short term and then, you know, pulled that rug out. And they're like, wait a minute, how long is this, you know? Um, so I think, yeah, I think that they are solving some of those problems. And again, we've always felt that it has to be multi-pronged approach. It can't just be these locally based uh, subsidies. It has to be also NYCHA and then the capital commitment to expand the pie, so to speak. 
I think, you know, I think there's a lot of concerns raised, obviously, around conditions mm-hmm. at sure. shelters. Sure. We're out there and, every day, yeah. Yeah, and so what's your, I mean, you know, that's something where they, they've talked about the yeah. rapid repair squad that they launched mm-hmm. and, and have touted some progress. This is not, this is not something mm-hmm. where I've visited. Um, and so I'm wondering what your assessment is of, of the progress yeah. or lack thereof there. I, I think wisely they've, they've realized they can't just keep blaming it on the prior administration. I mean, they were dealt a crappy hand um and you know all those remember the press conferences with linda gibbs and mike bloomberg oh we're gonna get out of this and then you know not too much um you folks were one few that actually focused a light on hey this is like expanding like i don't know mushrooms wildfire choose your hackneyed um analogy but um point being that they are committed my understanding to getting out of that horrible scattered site approach um, it's a very it's a delicate balance though because you know um, they want to close the worst of those places and I think that they're moving aggressively to do so I just uh, literally on a few days ago sitting at my desk um, a young mom called me three-year-old child she hasn't had a refrigerator and a stove working for three months now as a mom uh, <laughs> of a boy I can't imagine like having she, she fled domestic violence she's in a shelter in the Bronx, in a different neighborhood. She's from Brooklyn. And, um, you know, trying to feed your child to store food, all those, you know, things. Um, and it's exactly the, is it, you would know, LCG, or I always get it, LGC. Anyway, one of the worst providers, um, it turned out. And so, you know, I'm obviously helping her get this thing taken care of in the next 48 hours. But the point being, they just have to get out. And, um, I think the trick here is in doing so, they don't want to have these sort of other flash fires like remember the Pan Am. In other words, you get out of here, but you still have some capacity need, especially now that school is out. This is when we start to see those numbers spike. So it's, all, it's you know more complicated than it may seem at first. That's why they need to move more families into NYCHA and do some of these. Okay, we've seen progress. Let's, let's we feel, let's put the, the pedal before Down. we before we get to the NYCHA question, mm-hmm. just uh, if, if you don't mind, just take us a little bit more inside. When you get a call like that, you say you're trying to help her address it within 48 hours. What do you do? Do you go you go straight to the provider, or are you going through the city? No, I go to the city. I mm-hmm. mean, maybe it's uh, you know again just mother to mother. I mean, in. in you know, having Shelley has, has worked a little bit longer at the coalition than I, but we're approaching both of us 30 years, you, you get a sense for the credibility, what's happening, what questions to ask. Um, you know, and this woman was the next day going to her uh, meeting with the housing specialist, and she was said to me, oh, this may be, maybe we shouldn't be focused on this refrigerator stove. And I was like, no, this is going to take a while to play out. You know, this is another sort of reality of how you coach people and get them when they go to these um, interviews for housing. I said, this is going to take at least a few weeks, and I'm not comfortable letting this linger. Um, You know, it turned out that she sent me, she forwarded me um, an email, and what happened was this sleazy provider she uh, told them that uh, she was without this, you know, vital refrigerator and stove, and they were lying to this to the city that this problem had been fixed, and she sort of fell, and that then they stopped returning her calls. So yes, I did turn to the city because, you know, the landlord has zero credibility in this instance. If it was a nonprofit provider that I had a relationship with, of course, I would have started there, but 
you know, that it would, t- would have taken weeks to start with LCG. And so, lastly, before NYCHA, <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, one thing I'm wondering about is in the first, let's say, two years of this de Blasio administration, mm-hmm. was DHS just inept in over, you know, were they in over their heads and the commissioner was perhaps just not the right choice? Or, you know, was it just a total lack of understanding of wrapping their heads around the problem and inefficiencies or what was it? It was all of the above. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say all of the above because those were some pretty strong, um, I don't want to say accusations, but you you know what I'm saying. I think that they came in with great intentions, but you know, and we just, I believe the coalition just has the greatest staff and we were out there night after night, myself included at times, and we would see stuff going on that with the prior administration, it's like, we're going to go to court tomorrow. In other words, we're not going to sit around and let you have people sleeping on the floor um, or bust around night after night. So they're basically, it's a form of active deterrence. Um, I think, and I'll say this to the credit of the mayor, when with Steve's help, he got a very visceral understanding that things were not moving in the speed and the direction that he wanted, he had to make those changes. And now, uh, again, I think that it's, it's still a bit in flux, right? Because Steve needs people under him to, it's sort of a two-headed monster now. I mean, you know, HRA is huge. And then on top of that, DHS is maybe not as huge, but more complicated, right? Because you're dealing with people 24 hours, you're trying to provide, you know, a lot of different services and to people who become homeless through different avenues. Um, so, I don't know, I forgot what the question was, but <laughs> no, I, I no, do no, think it's... like after, you know, uh, 20 years of kind of, I just remember vividly when Rudy Giuliani, candidate, just announced he was going to go after the right to shelter, that this was the solution to homelessness, and it was sort of launched in tandem with Pataki, these state regulations giving him permission to throw more people out on the street. It's like the wrong-headed approach. and. Again, we had uh, maybe initial optimism with Bloomberg, but then it, that quickly devolved. Talking about some of the other resources on the table you've alluded to, so mm-hmm. the, you know, NYCHA, Section mm-hmm. 8, mm-hmm. and the Mayor's Affordable Housing Plan, right. I know that uh, the coalition and others have been dissatisfied with mm-hmm. the number of units mm-hmm. or certificates being offered to homeless right. people, formerly homeless people, through that. Um, has there been any movement on that? Is there any sign of openness on the administration's part to movement? And, and what is the nature of their resistance in terms of NYCHA? Is that because um, they think that NYCHA residents don't want homeless people moving in next to them? Well, I, I think that it's also, you know, understanding the difference between um, you know, uh, 25, 30 years ago, and some of the attitudinal uh, approach that people had. In other words, um, remember Barbara Sable, and the, there was sort of a, a bit of a, a Donny Brook, so to speak, um, between the new DHS and HRA, and people in NYCHA saying, wait a minute, what are you doing? You know, my cousin has been on the waiting list. You know, they speak as though there's just this one long list, when of course there isn't. Um, and why, and he's working, and why can't he get an apartment? Uh, you know what? So many, and uh, you know, I will give credit where credit's due, uh, both Koch, Dinkins, Giuliani, NYCHA was the main vehicle by which they were able to move families out of the shelter system. So when you go into a NYCHA building, a lot, lot, a lot, a lot of people, a lot of families were formerly homeless. And so there's this, you know, in their bones they get that it's not, you know, people that are going to sit down in the hallway and light fires, you know, to keep warm, that these are, these are families like them. Um, so 
the resistance, I, I can't really speak to that. I do know that um, we do need the mayor's leadership to, again, we've seen initially, you know, that there haven't been a huge outcry. And I don't know if you guys have had Richie Torres on your podcast. So impressive. And, um, you know, dynamic. And I think that he's asking all the right questions. Like, I believe, like, uh, maybe do a straw poll amongst uh, city council members or borough presidents, pick who you want. I think people, like, uh, proactively want the mayor to do more in this regard. Like, you know, they see what's playing out on the street. And, you know, now it's it's all about magnitude, you know, we have this crisis still. Um, we're, we're hovering at record levels. So what are we going to do to get past this? It's not enough just to keep, you know, the, the le something level when it's at this at this high mark. We, we did talk to Councilmember Torres a couple of weeks ago, and he's very obviously focused and, and active. And, you know, I think he seemed to indicate that in budget negotiations and other, there isn't necessarily the widespread political will to, within to push the within the administration or even you know he didn't really? he didn't necessarily say this overtly but it doesn't seem and I didn't see in any uh, big public way that this was a big council priority to push the mayor on this well I, I don't have the working relationship with the council speaker um, you know I, I do think that you know you bring in there's just this structural problem in City Hall right you have um, the housing commissioner reporting to a different deputy mayor than Steve and some of these other people. And that's where they're, this, they're duking it out. And so who's going to win? I think people have, <laughs> have very quickly seen, like, you know, I know Steve would cringe at, at me saying, like, you know, that he's the Robert Moses, but he has moved <laughs> HRA. Mm -hmm. He has made tremendous progress and therefore has tremendous credibility about what needs to happen. Um, you know, bringing in people from Goldman Sachs to run your housing program, it's a, it's a bit of a learning curve for them to understand what, what right. needs to happen. The, par the parks and playgrounds, Robert Moses, not the Cross Bronx Expressway. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm curious, it was about a year ago, I think, that, that um, the press became fixated on street homeless encampments. Mm. And, and, so and the that, week of my vacation. Right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Right, right. And I wonder, you know, so there the two two kind of outgrowths of that I want to ask you about. Mm -hmm. One is the NYPD response to those um, kind of gatherings yeah. since then, what you think about that. But uh, on the other hand, devil's advocate argument might be that, that that those incidents and that kind of furor sort of maybe lit the fire that has led to these changes in structure at DHS and HRA. You can't I mean, see this, this, but Mary's making faces. You, she's not you, you, you can't hear them. But. The <laughs> I mean, uh, d was there a silver lining in that no, uh, in that kind of I, outrage? No. I, I just, you know, Rupert Murdoch, whether it's, you know, the more sophisticated outlook in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Post, I mean, the denigration that went on, these homeless men and women who are suffering on the street, do they need help? Yes. But... Yeah, Gotham Gazette, actually. <laughs> like, I have my little favorites pile of these clippings. Oh, I thought you were about to group us in with your critics. No, not at all. Critics, but you okay. guys had, like, just such great, well-written, and, and really, you know, you, you guys know more than anyone, trying to keep the city's attention or try talk about herding cats. But you guys just, like, followed. They were, at one point had, like, over two dozen different reporters harassing this one mentally ill homeless man. I don't, I don't think what came out, not for lack of trying, the post reporters would go up and physically touch this guy to try to set him off. I mean, this is crossing any 
line of decency in journalism. I don't think I remember well that that bullshit morning on Morning Joe with uh, Willie Geis saying, I know some cops and they've been told not to talk to homeless people or whatever he was spinning. But everybody was jumping on the bandwagon. And uh, remarkably, it was two days later when Bratton showed up. Ooh. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, and he kind of laid it out and he was like, no, we're not doing it that way. We're doing it this way. And, you know, I, you know, he had to kind of like get his lion tamers whip out. Um, but uh, I don't I don't I'm sorry, I don't share whatever, um, you know, narrative construct. I think that it was it was very and I think it will it may reappear this summer. I mean, you know, so there's the a case, lot of how, people on the street. How do you feel about the NYPD's handling uh, of those? Is That's, that is that no issue has been raised? Is that st is that still a problem? Well, it could be, it? It, and it is. I mean, it, what's fascinating, and I again, I defer. You guys probably know more of this than I do. It really varies precinct to precinct. You have these little fiefdoms, and so we have tried to get above that and talk to uh, at a commissioner level what works because certainly just. You know, I, I have my own not-too-smooth uh, history with Bratton when he moved from, you know, MTA chief when they were separate, saying to me, like, straight on, we're going to flush them out of the subways, Mary, and um, we'd flush them out of the subways, we're going to flush... I think, obviously, having spent so much time in L.A., his understanding has improved. I think at the end of the day, and I, I love the fact that people are just being practical, you know, just pushing this problem here or there isn't going to solve it, especially when it's at this at this level. Like, where are you going to press it? I think that Giuliani gets a lot of credit for ending homelessness or greatly reducing it, but at that point, the, lo the level was so much lower, he could push it to um, places in Queens and Brooklyn where it just wasn't seen. And from a provider perspective, it makes it that much harder for us to engage those people and really get them the help they need. Sh sh yeah. <laughs> Shel Shelly, is there anything we, uh, we've touched on here that you want to add a, a thought on? Uh, we don't mean to exclude you. Not at all. I was just going to mention, actually, that the uh, Crisis Intervention Team initiative in the city is an example of one of the good things that they're doing to try to prepare police officers for working with emotionally disturbed people on the street, um, whether it's drug-induced or because of mental illness. Uh, the city finally proceeded to start training uh, more than just that tiny core of officers uh, to have that expertise. And we're going to see um, less violence in the exchanges between people with mental illness and the police because of that, and that's a good thing. Okay, can I just, I'll just say one sure. thing. You know, the, you know, back when they were really at each other's throats, the mayor and the governor, the governor had these three meetings with the provider. I don't know if oh, yeah, saw. I remember And that. I went to one of them, and I, like Shelley, very concerned because a lot of these people have spent long periods of time in state psychiatric institutions. What is going on with Medicaid welfare, with Medicaid reform? Um, why aren't we able to get people hospitalized? We have people coming to us wanting to be hospitalized that we can't get the help for them, um, just like crickets. And, and now, you know, people were raising serious issues like that, and yet now we have, like, Chris Quinn and a couple other people on this Blue Ribbon Committee to look into you know, the non-profitization or whatever gobbledygook they've, they've threw out. This, this is where I think that it's going to get tense. You know, you have people on the street, a tiny fraction of them are dangerous. 
those are the ones, of course, that, that are going to get the headlines, but those people, they're, you know, suffering in silence. And so that's a recommendation that you've made that has not oh, been listened yeah, to in yeah, terms and, of... And that's coming directly from our frontline crisis workers mm -hmm. that, you know, they're at their wits end, and not just at the coalition, but if you go out and talk to people around the city, uh, Wish Fish on the Upper West Side or any of these groups, they'll say, yeah, we can't get people... Uh, hospitalized, you know, and this all plays into like my neighborhood, you know, the Beth Israel closing mm -hmm. down. That's one of, was one of our main vehicles to get people, but we've seen uh, an about face now with the Medicaid redesign in terms of them actually accepting people in who don't have private insurance. Well, that Medicaid redesign and those questions is definitely something we'll we'll look to follow up on, and we could obviously talk for for hours I'm on these sorry. issues. Sorry, but we'll, sorry. No, no. Thank no, you so thank much, you. and and so we'll we'll wrap up the conversation there. But uh, Shelley Nortz, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. And Mary Brosnahan, thank you for joining us. Thank and you. Jarrett, we'll uh, we'll talk more soon. <laughs> yeah, stay in touch, Ben. <laughs>